Our scripture reading this morning is taken from James 1, verses 16 through 18, and you can find it on page 1,881 in your pew Bibles. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing, we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer, and today's uh, focus is on the uh, fourth petition, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. And as we've been doing throughout this, we're, we're also keeping in mind the Heidelberg Catechism's teaching around the Lord's Prayer, uh, and so I invite us uh, to read this responsively. What does the fourth petition mean? Teach us to pray. I, I start with this passage in James that Jessica read because it, it does give us a, a proper posture as we enter this part of the Lord's Prayer, and it's, it's one of overwhelming thanksgiving. We recognize together that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from, from our Father, who, who generously lavishes his goodness upon us. And we are a people who have much to be thankful for. I mean, we have the luxury of worshiping in a building like this. Just think about that for a moment. Just this physical space and the luxury that that is. But that's really just a, a surface level type of thing. Go. Just for a moment. We all have breath. Everybody in this room has breath. Now, some of us might be going, I need a mint. Who has a mint next to them? But we all have breath. We have limbs that can move. We have eyes that can see and ears that can hear, and we have been gathered together as a people. Many of us in this place and in this body have experienced incredible grace and comfort in our times of sorrow and struggle. We have had others in this community come around us and walk with us and sit with us and weep with us. And that is an incredible gift. To be a people who, who are surrounded by others who love us and, and care for us and are willing to go out of their way and sacrifice for us, what an incredible gift. We are a blessed people. And because of that, we begin this space with simply time for thanksgiving. So I'm going to invite us to say something out loud if you are willing to do so. 
that you're thankful for. Just go ahead. Something you're thankful for. Twins born yesterday. Baby granddaughter. Food and shelter. Others. Loving husband. Your family. Yeah. Sunshine. Yeah. I mean, we could go on and on, and if, if we took the time and I simply gave you a, a task of sometime today, write down ten things you are thankful for. I imagine through the course of writing those things down, even if you started that list in a grumpy space, you would, by the end of it, have a smile on your face. There is something, this posture of thanksgiving, that transforms us. And so I invite us at, at this space, as we enter in, to remember that this prayer, Lord, give us today our daily bread, is ultimately one of a posture of thanksgiving. We are putting our trust in God and recognizing that all good things come from Him. And it's a learning to live like this before God. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I like that. God's not shifty. He's not shifty. He's generous and lavish and wants to pour his goodness upon us. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You know, there's a temptation, though, that this passage is addressing. And James actually picks it up multiple times in his, his letter to, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, to God's people. And it, you pick up on, on the fact that there's something else going on here because he has to say, don't be deceived. It's a temptation when we get good gifts in our lives to think, oh, I earned this. I deserve this. It's mine. And we become the, like those little birds, those seagulls in Finding Nemo. Anybody remember those? Mine, 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 mine. Right? Don't be deceived. You know, this is a shorthand way of drawing us back into the story of God's people. Just as they are getting ready to enter the promised land, uh, Moses is giving kind of his last speech, and, and he reminds the people that all the years they've been in the desert, that God took care of them and watched over them so that the soles of their shoes didn't even wear out. God has been watching over you. But when you come into the land that's flowing with milk and honey, and when you experience the richness of the land, he has to say to them, do not forget the Lord your God. And at the end of that text, he says, when you see all of this, do not be tempted to think, look at all that my hands have made for me. It's the same warning he gives to Nebuchadnezzar later on. He's standing out there looking over everything and he says, look at this kingdom that I've created for myself. And he spends the next seven years like an animal under the dew of the heavens until he looks up and recognizes that every good thing comes from the hand of God above. 
James recognizes this tendency to take the good things that God gives us and to cling to them and hold to them to ourselves and even to become envious and jealous. This is a couple chapters later. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Lord, I want a comfortable life. Lord, I want a nice house and a comfy retirement. I want to live in a safe neighborhood. Lord, I want. Lord, I want. Lord, I want. And they may be good things that we want and desire. But soon our prayers are changed from, Lord, give us today our daily bread, to, Lord, I want this pleasurable life all for myself. And this isn't just a contemporary thing in North America where we have incredible wealth and abundance. This is James almost 2,000 years ago. God's people scattered across the whole, whole kind of Mediterranean area. James already saw it back then. We have a temptation to take the good gifts that God gives us and say, it's not enough. I want the gifts that you gave Michael over there. I want the gifts that you gave Elko and Anne. I, I want what you gave other people. I want them for myself, God. I want more. What you've given is not enough. And soon, we start to envy one another and bicker with one another and hate one another. That jealousy takes root. That dissatisfaction takes root. And no longer are we a thankful people. We're a grumbling and complaining James gets even more pointed in the next chapter now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Whew. And James, James a fire and brimstone type of preacher. <laughs> He doesn't hold back. And he doesn't qualify things. He just says, God's people, you are rich. And you're holding the treasure to yourself. The Lord has blessed you abundantly and you have hoarded it. You're keeping it all for your own comfort. And you are going to be judged for it. I don't know about you, but I don't often in our cultural context think of myself as rich. Because I'm able to look around me and look at other people who have so much more than me. And go, ah, they have huge property and they have vacation homes and look at them travel all over the world. I'm not rich like them, therefore this must not apply to me. And I try to make excuses to get out from under James' thumb here. Which is really the Spirit's thumb. 
So it gives me pause today, and I would suggest that it's an invitation to give all of us pause to sit and listen to these words for a few moments. In what ways have we taken the blessings of God and hoarded them for ourselves? In what ways have we begun to allow the desire for earthly pleasures and wealth to to be accumulated in our bank accounts and in the security of our retirements and keep it all for ourselves? What ways have we become stingy with the resources God has entrusted to us? I can't answer it for any of you. I can't come into your house and say, show me your bank account and I'll tell you where you've sinned. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. This is the Spirit saying to each one of us scattered across the Hamilton area or wherever we come from, calling us to pay attention. Do we see the resources God has entrusted to us and how are we living with those resources in response to the people around us? Maybe the way to ask this is this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, give us today our daily bread, who is included in our hour? Who do we include in that prayer? I think this here is a place to pause because it's similar to the the rich uh, or the teacher of the law who came up to Jesus and wanting to justify himself said, Lord, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to be concerned about? Are there people I can ignore? Are there people that I can say, yeah, I know they have needs, but I don't need to attend to them. They're not my responsibility. Who belongs within the hour of our daily bread. N.T. Wright, reflecting on this, says this, We must, of course, lift our eyes beyond our own needs. It is impossible to truly pray for our daily bread or for tomorrow's bread today without being horribly aware of the millions who didn't have bread yesterday, don't have any bread today, and in human terms are unlikely to have any tomorrow either. We got to remember that this petition follows right on the heels of that other petition we reflected on last week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a cosmic scope prayer of desiring God's kingdom to come to the ends of the earth and that the whole world would come to know him. And this petition, our daily bread, needs to reflect that same scope. Lord, we pray for the Rohingya Muslims, people who don't even call on your name in the way that you've revealed your son, Jesus Christ, because we see the oppression and suffering that they are going through. They're part of the hour of our daily bread. We pray for those who have lived under the threat of war and the experience of war their entire lives people in Afghanistan and the Middle East have been under war for 17 years. Who of you are under 17? Your entire life, there are kids like you who have been living in war that entire time. Who of you have kids or grandkids under 17? 
Imagine their whole life being wrapped up in constant war. Our prayers, our daily bread, extends to the scope and the boundaries of God's kingdom. And we have an invitation from God to pray not just for us, but for the whole world. That the whole world might see that God is generous. That the whole world might taste and see that God is good. That the whole world might experience the coming of God's kingdom in tangible, daily ways. Not just at the end of time somewhere. Today. Today, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done as people receive from your hand your daily provision. Ultimately, ultimately, what the catechism does with this is moves us not just from our material needs and our physical needs and our relational needs, but moves us to our deepest need. Right in the middle of this, give us this day our daily bread means do take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good. We need you, God. We need your goodness and we don't deserve it. We've made a mess of ourselves and our world. In fact, the reason people are suffering all over the world is because of our sin way back in the beginning and the ways we have perpetuated that sin day in and day out. Lord, we need you to intervene and save us. We need your goodness to overcome our brokenness, a brokenness that the whole world has been infected with. We need you, God. Our most fundamental daily need is for God to be good, to God to be forgiving, God to be gracious and generous and to show himself to be faithful even when we and all of God's people and the whole world have been faithless. There's a way to understand how faithful God has been and in fact, to move us into that faithfulness as we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I want to take us back into Israel's history and pay attention to three little spaces where their bread became important to them. The first one is this, the Passover bread. Uh, they're about to experience all over the land of Egypt the last of the ten plagues, the death of the oldest son. And that oldest born, that firstborn son is going to die all over and there's going to be great tragedy and weeping and grieving throughout the land. And God creates a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. And along with that sacrificial lamb, they are to eat bread made without yeast, unraised bread. And that moment, they experience God's salvation, his deliverance, and the freedom of from God's judgment upon the land of Egypt and God's people are brought out of captivity into freedom. And as they journey into the new land, God gives them this feast that they're supposed to have every year. And it's not a lavish feast with all sorts of sweets and goodies like we have on Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a feast with bitter herbs and flat dry bread. And it's meant to remind them that in the midst of everything being wrong and lost and empty and them being powerless over the things that oppress them, God saved them. Our daily bread 
as we take the bread and eat, we remember God as Savior, the one who delivers us from the things we cannot get out of on our own. And we pray that not just for us, but for the whole world. The second bread reminder comes from manna in the wilderness. Uh, The great part about this one is that the people are actually grumbling. They're a whole lot like us. They have daily complaints and daily grumbling, and they get to the point of saying, God, we don't know if you're actually going to take care of us. We'd rather go back to that land of slavery where at least we knew we had something, even though it was bitter. And in the midst of that, God says, I'm going to give you daily bread. Every morning when you wake up, there will be bread for you to eat. And every evening, there will be meat for you to eat. And I will take care of you. And for 40 years, God's people were fed by the hand of God day in and day out. Until they become a people of thanksgiving. People who enter the promised land with a posture of trusting in the Lord. Forty years of God providing day in and day out. Do you see me in the sunrise? Do you feel me when you breathe in the morning? Do you recognize that I am with you? As we taste the bread, we remember a God who provides when we are deeply dependent. We have no other source for our daily provision other than the Lord, and he is the one who provides bread of the presence. This one actually moves us into a different space and into a space of abundance. The bread of, of the presence was, was crafted to, to sit just outside of the Holy of Holies and the, the priests each week had to bake six massive loaves, 18 cups of flour per loaf. How many cups of flour go into our loaf of communion bread? Three. All right. So, so we, we get... this times six, if I'm doing my math right, to get to 18 cups of flour. These were big loaves of bread. And 12 of them would be baked each week and they would be set in two stacks of six right outside the Holy of Holies and they would be there for a week as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his abundance and his goodness. God was faithful. God was abundant. God was giving them more than they could possibly sit and eat in one meal. God was lavishing his goodness upon them. And the priests, every time they went into the temple, just before they would go into the Holy of Holies, they would see God's lavish abundance in these loaves of bread, these massive loaves of bread. God provides. God provides not just simply the bare minimum of what we need. God is not stingy. God is lavish. In a moment, we're going to taste that lavish love of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, meeting our deepest and most basic need. 
dying on the cross in our place to reconcile us with God the Father, to, to overcome our sin and undo the consequences of all our sin, and not just our sins, but as John would tell us, the sins of the whole world. Take. Eat. Remember, believe that the, that the death of Jesus Christ in his very body is given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. The complete undoing of all the brokenness, not just in our own lives, but to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, when we pray our daily bread, we're being invited not just into the narrowness of our own needs and our own comfort, but into the expansiveness of God's kingdom and the coming of his kingdom in tangible ways here and now. Let's pray.